Chapter Three of Laramie Holds the Range by Frank Spearman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Chapter Three Double Days. When they got back to the ford, it was daylight, and the crazy woman was hurrying on as peacefully as if a frown had never ruffled its repose gnarled trees springing out of gashes along its tortuous channel showed in the debris lodged against their flood-bared roots and mud-swept branches the fury of the night and the creek banks scoured by many floods revealed new and savage gaps in the morning sun but bradley made his crossing with the stage almost as uneventfully as if a cloudburst had never ruffled the mountains kate was eager to meet her father eager to see what might be her new home the moment the horses got up out of the bottom bradley pointed with his whip to the ranch house kate saw ahead of her a long one-story log house crowning with its group of outbuildings a level bench that stretched toward the foothills the landscape was bare of trees and to kate brown and barren looking save for a patch of green near the creek where the alfalfa field lay vividly pretty in the sun the ranch house built of substantial logs was ample in its proportions and not uninviting even to her eastern eyes bradley with a flourish swept past the stable around the corral and drew up before the door with a clatter in front of the buckhouse on the right a cowboy rolling a cigarette was watching the arrival and just as bradley plumped kate on his arms to the ground her father barb doubleday himself opened the ranch house door kate had never seen her father and until bradley spoke she had not the slightest idea that this could be he she saw only a rough-looking man of great stature slightly stooped and with large features burnt to a deep brown. "'Hello, Barb,' said Bradley, without much enthusiasm. His salutation met with his little. "'What's up?' demanded Doubleday. Kate noticed the huskiness in the strong, cold tone. "'Brought you a passenger?' From the talk of the night she recognized her father's nickname. It was a little shock to realize that this must indeed be he and the unmoved expression of his face as he surveyed her without a smite or greeting was not reassuring. But she hastened forward. Father? There was a note of girlish appeal in her greeting. I'm Kate, your daughter. You don't remember me, of course, she added with an effort to extort a welcome. You got my letter, did you? He looked at her uncertainly for a moment and nodded slowly. Was it all right, she asked, now almost panic-stricken, to come to see you? Confused or preoccupied, he stumbled out some words of welcome, spoke to Belle on the stage, took the suitcase out of Bradley's hand, and led Kate into the house. In the large room that she entered stood a long table, and a big fireplace opened at the back. On the left, two bedrooms opened off the big room and on the right the kitchen the chill of the strange greeting embarrassed kate the more because she felt bell could hardly fail to notice it 
and her own resentment of it did not easily wear off. But hoping for better things, she freshened up a little in her father's bedroom, and by that time a man-cook was bringing breakfast into the big room, which served as living room and dining room. Bradley, Belle, Kate, and her father sat down. The men had already breakfasted. Kate, her head in a whirl with novelty and excitement, was overcome with interest in everything, but especially in her father. Sitting at the head of the table, at one end of which fresh places had been set, he maintained her first impression of his statue. His spreading frame was covered with loose corduroy clothes, which could hardly be said to fit, and his whole appearance conveyed the impression of unusual physical strength. It had been said of Barb Doubleday as a railroad builder that he could handle an iron rail alone. His powerful jaw and large mouth, now fitted, or rather supplied, with artificial teeth of proportionate size, all supported Kate's awe of his bigness. His long nose, once smashed in a railroad fight, was not seriously scarred, and originally well-shaped. It was still the best feature of a terrifically weather-beaten face that had evidently seen milder days. The good looks were gone, but not the strength. His mouth was almost shapeless, but unmistakably hard, and his grayish-blue eyes were cold, very cold. Try as she would, Kate could discern little love or sympathy in them. This was the man who almost twenty years earlier had deserted her mother and wee Kate, the baby, and long disappeared from Eastern View, until by accident the fact that he was alive and in the far west had become known to his wife and daughter. Kate thought she understood something of the tragedy in her mother's life when the first sight of her father's eyes struck a chill into her own heart. But he was her father, and her mother had tried, in spite of all, to hide or condone his faults, and more than once before she died had made Kate promise to hunt him up and go to him. What the timid girl dreaded most was finding another woman installed in his household, in which case she meant to make her stay in the West very short but every hour lessened these fears, and as he himself gradually thawed a little, Kate took courage. The breakfast went fast. Platters were passed without ceremony or delay. Her father and Bradley ate as Kate had never seen men eat. Only her amazement could keep pace with their quiet but unremitting efforts to clean up everything in sight. There was little mastication, but much knife and fork work, with free libation of coffee, and Belle, Kate noticed, while somewhat left behind by the men, paid strict attention to the business in hand. Conversation naturally lagged, but what took place had its surprise for Kate. Doubleday asked a few questions of Belle, everybody seemed to know everybody else, and, learning she was headed for the reservation, possibly to teach school, hired her on the spot away from the job to go back to his eating house at Sleepy Cat Junction. No sooner was this arranged and Bradley told to take her luggage off the stage than a diversion occurred. A horseman dashed up outside and presently strode into the room. 
He was tall and well put together, not quite as straight as an arrow, but straight, and not ungraceful in his height. This was Harry Van Horn, a neighboring cattleman, and he wore the ranchman's rig, including the broad hat and the revolver, slung at his hip. But everything about the rig was fresh and natty in the sunshine. He looked alert. His step was clean and springy as he crossed the room, and his voice not unpleasant, as he briskly greeted Doubleday and looked keenly at his guests, last and longest at Kate sitting at her father's right hand. Doubleday introduced him to his daughter. Van Horn nodded without much deference to Bell and to Bradley, neither of whom responded more warmly. He sat down near Kate, and with a look of raillery scrutinized the remnant of meat left on the general platter. "'How is it, Barb?' he asked. "'What? The antelope?' "'All right, I guess.' Van Horn, with a laugh, turned to Kate. "'Excited over it, isn't he? I got an antelope yesterday, so I sent half of it over to your father.' Then he lowered his voice in pretended disgust. He doesn't know what he's eating. It might as well be salt pork. And you're a stranger here. I never knew your father had a daughter. He's very communicative. How do you like antelope? Without paying attention to anyone else, he set out for a moment to entertain Kate. When he talked, his face lighted with energy. Every expression of his brown eyes snapped with life, and his big Roman nose, though not making for beauty, one soon got used to. Barb broke abruptly in on the conversation. What did Stone find out? he asked. Van Horn answered a question of Kate's, and turned then, and not until then, to her father. That's what I came over to tell you. Dutch Henry and another feller, described like Stormy Gorman, sold ten head of steers to the railroad camp last week. That's where our cattle are going right along now. And Abe Hawk, he exclaimed, pointing his finger at Doubleday and poking it forward to emphasize each point, sold ten head of your long yearlings to a contracting outfit north of the falling wall and never changed the brands. Doubleday stared at the speaker, Van Horn, speaking to Kate, went right on. There's a bunch of rustlers over in the falling wall, snitching steers on us right and left, he explained in a lower and very deferential tone, but a warm one. While Van Horn talked and Doubleday muttered husky and bitter questions, Bradley and Bell paid continuous attention to their coffee and griddle cakes. Doubleday by this time had forgotten all about Kate. Completely absorbed by the reports brought in, he rose from the table and followed Van Horn to the open door, where Van Horn turned and paused as he kept on talking, so that with his eyes he could still take in Kate at the table. The two men were now joined at the door by a third. This man looked in to see who was at the table. Bradley glanced up at him only long enough to recognize Tom Stone, the new foreman. No greeting passed. Kate looked longer, though when she saw the eyes of the newcomer were on her, she gave her attention to Belle. 
Belle had told her that a woman at the ranch would be a great curiosity, and Kate every day resigned herself to inspection. When she got better acquainted with the men, and while there were good and bad among them, she liked them all, except Stone. His face did not seem kindly. At times agreeable enough, he was only tolerable at best, and when even slightly in liquor, he was irritable. His low forehead, over which he plastered his hair, and his straight yellow eyebrows and hard blue eyes were not confidence-inspiring. Even his big mustache was harsh and lacked a generous curve. His normal outlook seemed one of reticence and suspicion. Kate refused to like him. His smile was not good. On this morning he showed the signs of a hard journey. He had brought the news from the falling wall and was just in after a troublesome ride. Bradley and Belle left the table together, and Kate followed to the door. Bradley tried to edge past the three men without speaking, but Stone not only stopped him with a cold grin, but followed the driver toward the stage. "'Wouldn't that kill you?' Kate heard him say to Bradley, and she saw his attempt at an ingratiating grin. Abe Hawk rustling. Bradley gave him scant sympathy. What did Doubleday discharge him for? he demanded. What did the cattlemen blacklist him for? He's the best foreman this ranch ever had or ever will have, added Bradley, summoning his scant courage to rub it in. He fired him because he took up a little piece of land again the falling wall and got together a few cows of his own. That's a crime, ain't it? Like... These cattlemen will learn a thing or two when they get old. Stone flared back at him. What are you over here eating their bacon for? Not from any liking I've got for him, retorted Bradley, and for any of their pets. The old driver got away without a fight, but he had little to spare. Van Horn rode off presently with Stone, and Doubleday returned to the house where Kate was sitting with Belle. He told Belle he would send her over to the junction in the afternoon, and after dinner told Kate she had better go over and stay at the junction with Belle till they could get a room fixed up at the ranch. There were really no accommodations at the ranch house for Kate until some could be prepared. A room had to be made ready, and there was no bed or furniture, and Belle told her that her father spent most of his time at the junction anyway, for he had a cottage. She explained about the railroad branching off the main line at the junction. Her father had built this to coal mines on the Falling Wall River. He was supposed to own this branch line and the mines, but she hinted strongly that his creditors had got everything there was of the railroad but the rust, and would sometime get that. Kate wished her new acquaintance had been less candid. End of chapter 3